Well, good morning and happy Easter. We are so glad that you're with us today worshiping, uh, whether you're here in person or online or out on the patio. Um, and uh, the Glendora um, had their uh, annual Easter egg hunt yesterday, and we have volunteers from our church cook 100 pounds of pancakes for people. And so thanks to those who did that. And uh, yeah, let's... Uh, express our appreciation to them. And if, if you're here as a, as a guest um, who maybe received a card in the mail or picked up a card at Finkbeiner during the Easter egg hunt, we're glad that you're here as well. Happy Easter. You know, the French mathematician Blaise Pascal once said that every human life is a wager. Because believing in God or disbelieving in God both take a certain amount of faith Every person makes a wager in life about whether they're going to live as if God exists or if he doesn't. Those who wager that God exists live their lives accordingly. They'll seek to align their way of life with their wager that God is real. And since belief in God also implies the existence of a God-given moral code, those who wager that God exists will seek to align their life with that God-given moral code. Wagering that God is real in life means saying no to certain things we might want to do and saying yes to certain things we might not want to do. Some might think of those things as losses, things that a person gives up because they've wagered with their life that God exists. But if people who wager that God exists are right, their ultimate gain is eternal life after they die. Pascal says that people who wager that God does not exist live their lives accordingly. They may have fewer constraints on their lives, fewer things that they say no to or say yes to, because if there is no God, then there is no moral code to constrain them in their decisions. So people who wager that God does not exist may experience fewer losses in this life. However, if they're wrong in their wager, their ultimate loss far outshadows those temporal losses. Because wagering that God does not exist, if God really does exist, could lead to eternal loss. Pascal suggests that every person makes a wager in how they live their life. And as a mathematician and philosopher, Pascal said that the most rational way to live is to live as if God exists. Because if we're wrong, the losses we experience in this life are temporal. But if we're right, the gains we will experience in the next life are eternal. Now, most college students learn about Pascal's wager in their intro to philosophy course in college. This morning, I want to apply Pascal's wager to Easter. Easter Sunday is the Christian church's proclamation of it, the Bible's claim that Jesus Christ rose from the dead three days after he was crucified. 
It's our proclamation that after Jesus was rejected by the religious leaders, after he was tried by the Roman government and condemned, after he was crucified by Roman soldiers, and after he was buried in a tomb by his closest followers, that he conquered death and was seen alive again three days later by hundreds of people. It's a truly amazing claim. What do we gain if it's true? And what do we lose if it's not? To to borrow from Pascal's wager, what are the stakes in Easter? This morning, I'm going to look briefly at four games that are at stake in the resurrection of Jesus. And so here at Glenkirk, we often stand when we read from the Bible. So I want to invite you, if you're able, would you stand with me for a reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 14. It says this, And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ, are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. You can be seated. Paul's letter to the church in Corinth is one of the earliest writings we have in the New Testament part of the Bible. This letter was written just a couple of years after that first Easter Sunday, and it was written by Paul, who was one of Jesus' apostles. Paul claimed to have encountered the resurrected Jesus at his conversion experience. And we learn from this section of his letter to the church in Corinth that some members of the Corinthian church were having doubts or questions about Easter, about whether Jesus had truly risen from the dead or not. And so Paul here in this section that I read tells us what's at stake in the resurrection of Jesus. And so today I want to focus on four gains that are at stake in Easter. And here's the first one we find from this. If Christ is risen, the Christian faith is true. If Christ is risen... The Christian faith is true. Paul says in verse 14 that if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, his preaching is useless, and so is our faith. As you might already know, the the New Testament was originally written in ancient Greek, and then it was translated into different languages like English, so people like us could read it for ourselves. And in the ancient Greek, verse 14, the word that Paul uses that's translated Useless means not true or untrue. Paul is saying that the entire message of the Christian faith, what the church proclaims in its preaching and the substance of its doctrines are untrue if Jesus didn't really rise from the dead. You see, the truthfulness of the entire Christian faith stands or falls on the resurrection of Jesus. 
To, to use wagering terms, Christians have gone all in on the Bible's claim that Jesus rose from the dead. Now, some of you know that next week I'm going to be in Philadelphia with one of my sons as he competes in the Collegiate Rock Climbing National Championship. And in competitive rock climbing, there's a section of each climb that's called the crux. And the crux of a climb is usually the most difficult sequence of moves in the climb, but it's also usually the most important part of the climb. A climber that can work their way through the crux of the climb can almost always finish the climb. Well, Easter is the crux of the Christian faith. It may be the most challenging claim of the Christian faith, but it's also its most important. The truth of Christianity is at stake in Easter. Here's a second gain. If Christ has risen, forgiveness is possible. If Christ has risen from the dead, forgiveness is possible. In verse 17, Paul says that if Christ has not been raised from the dead, you are still in your sins. And that's a way of saying that our worst mistakes and our biggest failures in life, the the things that we have done to hurt people and the things that we have failed to do to help people, that these things have no remedy if the resurrection of Jesus didn't happen. To be in our sins means that we are liable for the penalty of our sins, that we are bound to the power of sin in our habits and in our personality, that we are captive to the consequences of our sins. To be in our sins still means that our worst moments really do define us, that there's no recovery from our failures, no way for people to change. Forgiveness is at stake in Easter. Here's a third gain. If Christ has risen, then there is life after death. There is life after death. In verse 18, Paul says that if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, then those who've fallen asleep in Christ are lost. And and back then, the phrase fallen asleep was a euphemism for people who have died. We use euphemisms like passed away or departed. They use the euphemism fallen asleep. And the word that's translated lost from the ancient Greek um, in verse 18 means to cease to exist. That Paul is saying that if Easter is not true, those who've died are lost forever. But if Christ really has risen from the dead, then there really is life after the grave. Easter's proof of it. If Jesus truly died and then came back conquering death three days later, then we have evidence that there was life beyond the grave. The resurrection of Jesus would mean that our lives on this earth are not the whole story, but that our lives on this earth are just one chapter of a bigger story of our lives. And the things that happen to us in life, the pain and the suffering, injustice and confusion are things that can be answered in the next life. How we live today is dramatically impacted by whether we believe that this life is all there is or whether there's life beyond the grave. Life after death is at stake 
in Easter. And then finally, the fourth gain that we find in this part of the Bible is that if Christ is risen, hope is a reality. Hope is a reality. In verse 19, Paul says that if we have hope in this life only, we are to be pitied. The, the, the word he uses means pathetic, miserable. It's like feeling sorry for a person who's so deluded by an idea that they can't see the truth, like a Giants fan that thinks that they're going to go to the World Series this year. Now, I apologize to all Giants fans. See, some people think that hope is just wishful thinking. A kind of internal optimism for people who always see the glass as half full. This reduces hope to a subjective experience, to a kind of inner disposition that certain people have and certain people don't. But the Bible claims that the resurrection of Jesus anchors hope in a reality that goes beyond ourselves. That if Jesus really conquered death, and as a consequence, sins can be forgiven, then we have a reason for hope that goes beyond our feelings. This is why the Bible calls the hope that is connected with Easter a living hope, because it's a kind of hope that has a life of its own. A living hope exists regardless of how we feel at any given moment. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then hope is no more than a feeling for this life only. But if he really did rise from the dead, then hope is real. These are just four of the gains that are at stake in Easter. That if Jesus really rose from the dead, the, the Christian faith is true. Forgiveness is possible there is life after the grave, and hope is a living reality. But if Jesus did not rise from the dead, the entire crux of the Christ Christian faith is false. Forgiveness is not possible. This life is all there is, and hope is no more than a feeling. And like Pascal's wager, we all wager on whether Jesus rose from the dead or not. Now, as Christians and as a church, we obviously believe that he did. That's why we gather and celebrate on Easter Sunday. But some people are not so sure, maybe some who are here today, because it seems unbelievable that a person could conquer death with stakes this high. Every person owes it to themselves to weigh the evidence and make an informed, intelligent decision. Because if he really did rise from the dead, and we deny it, we miss out on the truth, on forgiveness, on a secure place after we die, and on a living hope that can sustain us as we go through this life. Those are pretty high stakes to risk. Now, you've probably noticed that I haven't presented any actual evidence for Christ's resurrection today. I've only described what's at stake what we have to gain or to lose if Easter is true. And that's because next week we're going to start a new series called Common Questions About Jesus. And in this six-week series, the very first question we're going to address is the question, did Jesus really rise from the dead? And to kick off our series, I've invited an author named Ken Samples, the author of the book Christianity Cross-Examined, 
to present to us the historical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. I first met Ken in grad school more than 30 years ago, and he's gone on to become a distinguished philosopher, a scholar, author of several books, and Ken is going to kick off our Common Questions About Jesus series next Sunday. Other questions we're going to look at in this series are, how do we know Jesus really existed? Or was Jesus really the Jewish Messiah? Or what can we know about Jesus' family? There should be a postcard in your bulletin about the series that has the schedule of the questions that we'll be addressing each week in this series. Because with stakes this high, every person who's unsure owes it to themselves to look honestly and objectively at the evidence, to weigh it for themselves so they can decide how to live their life because we have everything to gain and much to lose by the wager that we make. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Easter Sunday and thank you for our celebration of the resurrection. And Father, this congregation is filled with hope and joy, and faith in the resurrection. But I pray that we are also a safe space for honest questions. I pray that we would be a place for people who are in process to be real with their questions and to not have to pretend, but to bring what's deep in their hearts to light. And that we might together look at those questions and process them together. God, thank you that you meet us each where we are. Thank you, Father, that you don't leave us to ourselves. But through your grace, you draw us to yourself to make us your children. We rejoice in that reality today. For we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.